We catch up with news and uh, we, we go domestic and local news first and then we cross over to Katie McDonald for any news happening internationally and especially down in New Zealand where they've had some serious floods as well as uh, in, in sort of Australia and the rest of that part of the world. Uh, we catch up with Katie McDonald just after Kevin. Kevin, a very good morning to you and welcome to the show. Good morning to you, Zane. It's a pleasure. Kevin Brunt, our EWN senior EWN reporter this morning, joining us. And we're going to be chatting about a few things on the, the local uh, front. Kevin, obviously, the, uh, the resignation of David Mabuza caught all of us yesterday afternoon about, what was it, five, six o'clock uh, when this news came through. But we've also had the resignation of three SA Tourism members, which includes Cape Town Tourism's CEO, Enver Dumini. And that was announced over the weekend. Uh, what is Enver Dumini saying about his departure um, we reached out to him yesterday and we uh, sort of was deferred to a, a statement, a press statement. So what what is he saying at the moment? Have you spoken to him? Yes, Zane. Um, these three individuals are seen as very key players in the local industry, considering their roles and their extensive experience. Um, and this these resignations obviously comes now on the back of news earlier this week that there are alleged plans. Uh, from SA Tourism to sponsor Tottenham Hotspur. Um, I did speak to Inver and he sent me a message saying that he is still the CEO um, of Cape Town Tourism, that it is a non-profit and independent association um, geared at the marketing and the promotion of the city. Um, also then a statement uh, from SA Tourism saying um, that they've now resigned. But I've also seen um, a statement highlighting that these um, individuals are not allowed to talk about any confidential matters concerning the board. And obviously, uh, Robbie Nadison, he's a former COO of Soho Sun, now the Southern Sun Hotels, and Rosemary Anderson, she's the um, a national chairperson of the Federated Hospitality Association of South Africa. So very key um, individuals. Um, attended now their resignation amid this controversy that SA Tourism now finds itself in vain. Mm. Do, do we perhaps know um, exactly, you know, um, what, what this will mean going forward uh, for for SA Tourism? Because I think, you know, Enver Dumini still stays on as the head of Cape Town Tourism, which is an absolute blessing because I mean, he's just really an asset for, for the Cape Town scene and for tourism in Cape Town. Um, and, 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 of course, Ravi and Rosemary, the, do, we, do we know, you know, where SA Tourism is heading? Are, are people unhappy within SA Tourism? Zane, um, there are plans, and I've seen also reports that uh, Minister Lindiwe Sisulu, the tourism minister, will be meeting with the board members and the executives there. We've also seen the president coming out um, opposing this alleged SA Tourism sponsorship of about a billion rand for Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so in the coming week, also amid everything else that will be taking place, February is generally a very busy news month. Um, now we have this extra additions also in terms of the news cycle, but um, we do expect some announcement to come from SA Tourism and obviously how it now plans to maneuver itself um, when it comes to this deal. They've had a press briefing 
earlier this week, but we do expect a bit of an update in terms of that, um, the allegations around that or the reports around this proposed deal, but also then in terms of filling these new positions as SA Tourism is, um, you know, in the biggest scheme of things, also a very key component of marketing South Africa internationally. So also a very key um, uh, institution to drive uh, South Africa and to create investment and to attract people to come to South Africa. We know the economic state the country finds itself in um, and the way that South Africa positions itself internationally also vitally important. So it will be interesting to see how this whole situation plays out. Mm-hmm. Channing this morning to Kevin Brunt, who's our EWN News anchor. We talk in the first topic about the resignations from SA Tourism Board members, and uh, among them Enver Dumini uh, Ravi, as well as Rosemary, who've uh, resigned from that particular board. It's going to be a busy news week uh, this week, and uh, we've already got that EWN, our plan set out for Sona, and President Cyril Ramaphosa will deliver his State of the Nation on Thursday. Um, you've spoken to some of the res- residents during this week and I mean uh, do people still still listen to Sona do people still want to hear what the president has got to say then a very interesting theme that occurred is I visited a number of communities and throughout the rest of the week before Thursday I will also go to more communities just to get the voice of, of the people on the ground the residents um, of the city of Cape Town a lot of them feel that South Africa is in a lot of trouble, but there is still hope. We can still maneuver and get ourselves out of these issues. A lot of them say, feel that government is not doing enough to address their issues. Top of the list, uh, obviously, is load shedding and followed by the, the unemployment, a lot of crime. You saw last week the shootings that happened here in the metro, but also there uh, in the Eastern Cape and Klaberha. So, uh, you know, residents feel that more should be done and more um, definitive plans and, and practically executable plans should be put in place. They say that the president has been uh, addressing the nation on a number of occasions, outlining what government's plans are, but it just doesn't seem like they can get it uh, completely together to um, at least satisfy the voters. There's a lot of poverty also that, that the residents feel should be addressed but also then a key issue, as I said, the load, the load shedding issue. But just listen to what some residents in Gatesville told me. I also went to Luanle. I still plan to go to a number of other communities in the week, as I said. So president keeps talking the same thing over and over, and there's no improvement in the land. It's just more load shedding and more load shedding, and people without houses. It, it's not coming to a point, so what? I don't think I'll watch it. But the normal person on the road, he's totally blank, buff gone. He's, he's not recognized, he's not seen. And the only time you, you will see them, you can ask her, mm-hmm. as when the parties start coming around. Campaign. Yeah, and, and bringing those little cheap sweaters. Well, I have to watch. I have to understand what is, whether I know it's going to be a load of just stuff mm-hmm. that he's just going to bring out that's not going to make sense. You can actually also put your voice to that and tell us whether you'll be watching Sona, whether you are just fed up with everything and and that you feel that uh, nothing is going to make a difference or you feel that there is still some positivity out there and that is important to watch the president. Give us a call on 0214460567 or chat to us on the WhatsApp line on 0725671567. We are catching up with uh, the news locally and in terms of what's happening in the country with Kevin Brunt, our senior EW 
SABN reporter this morning. Kevin, the in investing in Africa mining in Daba also starts tomorrow in Cape Town International uh, Convention Centre. So what, what is actually the significance of this particular event and what is the importance of hosting an event like this? Because, you know, mining in this country is one of the key production factors. Yes, and, and that is my exact question that I that I asked some of the organizers of the event, why is it, especially in light of the, the challenges South Africa now finds itself in, what is the significance of hosting this event event at this particular time? Um, the African Mining in Daba is, is a gathering of key figures within the mining sector. Um, over 60 government officials will be joined there. There will be about 30 executives and 100, uh, 700 rather investors will be present at the CTICC. The registration process for the delegates already opened yesterday. It will continue today. There's also um, some discussions taking place um, today, but the main event uh, will be hosted from tomorrow. Um, and that is when we also will see President Cyril Ramaphosa is also scheduled to uh, address the the significance of, ev- of the um, event, also about the participation of South Africa um, in investing in mining on the continent. He will also address the industry leaders and investors from, from around the world in his most probably, and I expect that he will put his investment and structural reform agenda forward um, to position South Africa as, as one of the key mining investment destinations it still is, and also then address the, the challenges that load shedding also added on to this sector um, and how we can stimulate growth. But Laura Cornish um, told me a bit more about you know the importance of the event and what people can expect over the, the next four days. And yes, mm. she is. I, I can expect heavier traffic coming into the CTICC, which is actually what happens in Cape Town when we do have these events. But we spoke to JP Smith yesterday, and there's some fantastic events happening in Cape Town, and it's bringing such a lot of, of capital to the city uh, and to the province, which is, which is a good thing, actually. Kevin, finally, we catch up with uh, Pope uh, Francis, who joined other Christian leaders and the United Nations representatives you know, when they wrapped up their visit to South Sudan yesterday. What can you tell us about that? Yes, and Pope Francis, on the back of the United Nations report on South Sudan issued in March that condemned the widespread sexual violence still very prevalent in that country. Um, and he then embarked on this to, to, to that country to highlight some of the key issues there. Um, you know, talking a bit about how the rest of the world can join in and ensure that the safety of women and, and, and girls in particular is being promoted in South Sudan. And the country obviously broke away then from Sudan in 2011. Uh, and that plunged into civil war by 2013 when ethnic groups turned on each other. And that comes despite the 2018 peace deal also uh, between the two main antagonists in in this war, um, where in the international community have really gone out to try and, uh, and resolve the issues in that country there. So the Pope's visit was part of an international effort to restore peace. Um, and, and that is basically why he visited that, that country there together with the other, other delegates in. Kevin Brunt chatting to us this morning. Thank you so much for your time and catching up with the resignation of Enver Dumini and the other 
Uh, two members of the SA Tourism Board, also a busy news week ahead in terms of what Cyril Ramaphosa will be telling us, or President Cyril Ramaphosa will be telling us at the State of the Nation address on Thursday. And what is it exactly that you feel? Uh, we, we actually talk about that, and I'd love to hear from you because uh, in a while, at uh, you know, just after 8 o'clock this morning, uh, we were chatting about uh, quite a few things, and uh, one of the one of the items on the agenda uh, that we'll be chatting about uh, just uh, uh, is about uh, you know what South Africans wish for their children. Uh, research has been done about this, and uh, at about twenty to eight this morning, we chat uh, about that. So, what are your feelings? What what is what are your wishes for for your children? What do you want your children to be living in this country? Do you want them uh, to go abroad? Would you like them to study abroad and then come back again to this country? Uh, what exactly is it that you feel? And I'd love to hear from you on 0214460567. And the WhatsApp line is open for your comments on 0725671567. This is Cape Talk. Catching up with things internationally this morning. A very good morning to Katie McDonald down in Sydney. Katie, how are you? Good morning, Jane. Um, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Surviving the heat. It's Yeah, having a bit of a heat wave here. Hmm. But um, very well, thanks. I haven't had a chat to you in 2023, and I don't think, I don't even know whether it's still appropriate if you haven't met somebody. I feel if you haven't met somebody, okay, June is a little <laughs> bit too far, but if you haven't met somebody in January, mid-February, you can still say happy 2023. <laughs> so a very happy 2023 to you, Katie. <laughs> And the same to you. I can't quite believe it's already February. So, yeah, time does fly. Yeah, no, it does. Australia recognises psychedelics as, as medicines, and this is the first country to do so? Yeah, it's actually um, sort of hit the news, and it's been taken sort of by, well, they've taken people by surprise because Australia is very conservative uh, when it comes to its laws regarding yeah medications and um yeah, certain drugs and such. I mean, they're even about to regulate the sale of Panadol or Panado. Uh, you know, sort of people are going to have to buy smaller boxes and you, know, you can't buy more than a certain amount and all of that. So, yeah, they've just announced, uh, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, that they're going to recognize certain psychedelics uh, as medicines. Basically, it's MDMA, and I never know if I pronounce this um, correctly, but psilocybin or psilocybin, and that's the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. And they're going to be available for prescription or to be prescribed by a psychiatrist from July. Basically, the psilocybin, the uh, active, as I said, the ingredient for magic mushrooms, that's going to be. Well, it has been approved for use for treatment-resistant depression and MDMA for treating post-traumatic stress disorder. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big sort of news item, in, as I said, in the sense that they are very conservative here. It's been welcomed by a lot of people, especially with regards to treatment-resistant depression. As you probably know, They've been looking at, you know, various um, countries and study groups as to the effect of these particular drugs or psychedelics and very interesting that they're doing it. So mm. I'm not too sure. 
Has the government based this on, on, on research? Have they said, you know, this is the research and this is what has come out of the research and therefore we've taken this decision? Because, I mean, M- Magic Mushrooms has been under discussion for quite some time now. I remember doing a show uh, with, you know, John Matham show and um, mm-hmm. the, this was under discussion for the treatment of, of depression, uh, you know, and, and, and other things. So I wonder if there's been sort of concise of research done and uh, that, the, you know, the, the Australian government is, is basing it on that? Well, exactly. Um, no, good question. So basically there have been certain lobby groups that have been working on it for quite some time. And they have looked at clinical trials which show promise uh, with regards to using these psychedelics um, in treating, you know, depression, major depressive disorder and PTSD. So they have based it on the back of existing research and recent research and clinical trials. Look, there's a lot more that needs to go into the research uh, with regards to these um, psychedelics. And one particular professor, you know, came out and said, look, we still need to know more about it. You know, not really ready or we're not really ready to kind of put it out there as a mainstream alternative but I would imagine that once they start prescribing, then also, too, you'll be able to gather evidence um, as to how it's working in a practical sense. So, yeah, there's more research to be mm. done, but it was, yeah, completely it's taken people by <laughs> I, surprise. Um, I think when you, and I were, when you and I were young, psychedelic was something different, isn't it? <laughs> it was, it was really, not, not not medicinal, not, not medicinal. Definitely yeah, not. No, yeah, no. it wasn't called magic no. mushrooms in any case. Katie McDonald chatting with us this morning, yeah. and we catching up with what's happening internationally now. King Charles won't be on the new five pound note. Uh, that's a bit of a surprise. Yes. Five dollar notes, eh? Oh, sorry, five dollar notes. Note. It is a, um, a surprise as well. And what it's also done is it's increased focus again on, you know, the potential of Australia becoming a republic or it's given sort of yeah, more ammunition for those who support the idea of Australia becoming a republic. So at the moment, um, Queen Elizabeth is, or the late Queen Elizabeth uh, II is on our $5 bill and people were expecting that the next one will have King Charles III. But no. It's not going to happen. The Reserve Bank has announced that they're going to redesign it and they're going to redesign it in such a way that honours Indigenous Australians and Indigenous Australian history. So that's been welcomed, as you can well imagine, by uh, many people and many groups here. It's not been welcomed by the monarchists uh, in Australia. They feel that it's kind of, you know, a little bit woke and it's, yeah, just disrespectful to the monarchy because we are a constitutional monarchy. But that's what's going to happen. And it's it's interesting watching or hearing Zane how people react. I mean, one particular person, he leads the Australian Monarchist League. He was like saying it's like neo-communism in action. Well, interesting comment. I don't know where that kind of comes from. <laughs> um, someone else has said, you know, that they're working to topple King Charles III. Look, they're just not putting the monarch on, on, yeah. On a banknote. On, on, on a banknote, And exactly. you prefer to put indigenous people on the banknote or indigenous things, which is true and relevant and authentic to the country on the banknote. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, as people have said, you know, there's so much that's beautiful about Australia. Um, we've got an incredible Indigenous history. We've got beautiful native flora and fauna. And they're also re- represented in Indigenous designs. So, yeah, it's... Mm. And Australia <laughs> also has... Many people... And Australia also has mm-hmm. quite a few South Africans, though. So that's also one of the nice things about Australia is that you can always oh, go and visit family, you see. Throw that. You had to throw that in. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But, so, yeah, yeah I, I think a lot of people are going to say, somebody in Australia will probably come up and say, but it's Harry and Meghan's fault, you know. It's their fault. <laughs> <laughs> of course, then. Of course. Have to blame someone. Somebody. Yeah. Katie, VB develops something which is nice, and uh, it, it is somebody something that actually is going to take off, um, you know, very very quickly. It's a it's a push button beard delivery service uh, only in Australia. I know. Well, exactly. Um, I would imagine that it's something that would work elsewhere as well. But, uh, yeah, VB, Victoria Bitter, one of the big beer brands here, or, yeah, big types of beer. I'm not a beer drinker, so I can't kind of elaborate any more on that. But they've basically uh, teamed up with an alcohol delivery service, and they're launching this button that you install in your home, and essentially you'll get a case of beer delivered as soon as it's pressed. So they've dubbed it the Big Green Button. Uh, you put it on your fridge door or wherever, and you tap on it, you've got to tap on it twice. Um, that's so that, you know, there's no accidental ordering. And you tap on it twice, it plays the little tune, whatever iconic VB tune that they refer to. And then you're going to get a case of 375 mil stubbies delivered to your door. So it's just going to make it that much easier to get your beers when you need them. I mean, I thought, Great. Had to be an Aussie invention. Definitely had to be an Aussie invention, Zane. What about the fact that if you put that button too low, the children will start hitting that button all the time and you'll find yourself delivering a half a chuck of beer? That's quite interesting. I had not thought of that because, of course, Zane, there are issues with children going online and ordering things. And, yeah, I saw an article the other day, some youngster ordered something like $5,000 worth of, I don't know, products. So, yes, you're going to have to put the button up high. But, um, yeah, for beer drinkers, brilliant. Not much thought, you know, goes into it. And no. uh, you get you get your stubbies to your door. Fantastic. I wonder, I wonder, have, they, have they given a sort of estimated time of arrival for, for, for your beer? Like, you know, down here in, in, in South Africa, we've got Checker 6060. So your order, uh, you know, takes you 60 seconds to order and 60 minutes for the delivery. So have they said we'll have your beer with you in about an hour's time or half an hour? They're expecting 30 minutes, but it depends on the del- delivery location. But they are expecting 30 minutes. So, yeah, and apparently at the moment, as I said, I don't buy beer, but a pack of six is is about $24, and then there'll be a delivery fee of just under $7. So, yeah, whether they work um, or whether that works out, 30-minute delivery, I don't know. You don't want to have people waiting for their beer, but um, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see, and I'm sure it's going to be a huge success thing.
Katie, Katie McDonald, thank you so much for your time on a Sunday morning chatting to us about what's happening in Australia. The uh, first country to do so is to recognize the psychedelics as medicines. King Charles that will no longer be on the $5 note. Uh, apologies there, the $5 note of the country. They feel there's uh, more, there are more important things to put on the $5 note. And then uh, Victoria Business develops a push-button beer delivery service.